Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer tonight and just ask that you would work in the service and that you would be lifted up and that you would encourage us as we go through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. And again, our goal, our, our main purpose of our study right now through the Gospels is to uh, present a harmony of the Gospels, a, a connecting of the different stories in the different Gospels in order. And uh, we're not going to stop and, and deal with every little thing. Where I'd like for us to start is Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and then in a few moments we'll be turning over to Luke chapter 3, and this is what we call the genealogies. Uh, this is the family history. Uh, let's just uh, uh, go down to verse 17. It says, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now, people have looked at that and said, well, how can that be exactly 14? And they get out their little things and go all over. Well, I mean, it's very simple. Matthew was reckoning in a way you didn't carry books around with you. If you wanted to remember things, it had to be presented in a way that you could remember it. And that's simply what was going on there was organizing the generations so that they would work. And, of course, Matthew presents what we call the royal uh, genealogy, uh, right from Abraham uh, to David, and then David to Solomon, to all the list of the kings, to Zerubbabel and Shaphiel, uh, 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 Salat, I'm sorry, Salathiel, and uh, the rebuilding uh, of Jerusalem was Zerubbabel, the rebuilding of the temple, and right down to uh, Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Now, let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 3, and we're going to see that there are some things that are different in Luke's genealogy compared to Matthew's. And so we come down to verse uh, 23, and it gives the genealogy at Jesus' baptism, which hasn't happened yet. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, which was the son of Mathet, which was the son of Levi. And it goes on down, and uh, Luke who is our uh, man who has an understanding of all things, is what he says, takes the genealogy all the way back to verse 38, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. I mean, you can't go back any further than that. Uh, and uh, aren't you glad you didn't come from a polywog? Amen. Um, the simple truth is, uh, what we have here is we have uh, the main difference, if we'll look here, let me, uh, I forgot to get uh, the exact reference here. Verse 31, it says, which was the son of Melia, which was the son of Manan, which was the son of Mathet, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David. And so this is tracing the heritage back through another son of David. It's not going David Solomon, it's going David Nathan. And of course, then the names are going to be different from there uh, on down until we get to Joseph. Now, there are two basic ways that this is understood because things that are different aren't normally the same. And uh, you don't need to be afraid of that. You don't need to worry about it. People have often, in, in the past, people are looking for all kinds of excuses 
to argue about the Bible. When you find someone that starts, well, the two genealogies can't possibly be the same one. Well, uh, the one understanding is that both genealogies do belong to Joseph. Uh, I tend to prefer that understanding. And you say, well, how in the world could that be? Well, to make a long story short, all you have to have is somebody dying young and remarrying and they would have remarried in the family line and it would have just been a different way of you end up with two genealogies. How many of you know the song on my own grandfather? Uh, it's a little uh, folk song. You know that song, don't you? Uh, uh, your wife does. and uh, But... Uh, my uh, my head is full of insulation dust, so pray for me. But um, uh, there, uh, I think it's in Edersheim's book. He goes through several different because the name Matat shows up in both Matthew and Luke, and he may have been the connection that went between the two families. Uh, the other one, the one that most people tend to uh, uh, agree with, is that. What Luke is doing is he's giving Mary's genealogy and that Matthew is giving Joseph's. And, of course, Mary's name would have been omitted because uh, they normally do not put ladies in the, um, in the genealogies. The name is passed on through the son. Uh, but what they're trying to do is show that Mary was also of the lineage of David. And... Um, you can choose either one. Here's the thing that we want to be careful of. We don't want to start arguing about things we don't know and have no way of knowing. And so we will just leave the scripture as it says. And uh, you're not violating the scripture if you believe that Luke was uh, of, of Mary's uh, lineage and uh, Matthew gives Joseph's. Uh, Matthew certainly gives the royal lineage, the king to the king to the king to the king to the Messiah. And uh, that would have been very important. And uh, yet one thing I want us to go back to Matthew. And of course they say that Luke was probably... Uh, Mary's genealogy only, they don't give the names of women in the genealogies. And that's what all of the commentaries say. The only problem is Matthew puts four ladies' names in the genealogy. Uh, and it's interesting the names that he puts in there. The first name is Tamar. How many of you know the story of Tamar? It's not a nice story. It's not a nice story at all. And uh, Judah's eldest son was married to Tamar. And he was a wicked man. The Bible says God killed him. God does do that. And his younger brother was told that your elder brother died and didn't leave anyone to carry his name. And we, we won't get into all the details, but uh, it was a sordid relationship here that produced the son. And it wasn't right, but you know what God is into? God is into forgiving sin. Everything that God, that God has given us, man has messed up. Uh, actually... Uh, the son of Tamar, uh, Perez, uh, that carries on the line, was actually between Jacob and his daughter-in-law. And uh, it was not the way it ought to be. But we come down here to Amram begat Aminadad, and Aminadad begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of whom? Rahab. Rachab the harlot from the city of Jericho. 
And then Boaz married Ruth. There we go. Ruth the Moabitess. Now, how many of you remember what the law of God said about the Moabites? They were not able to enter the congregation of Israel unto the tenth generation. And here we have a Moabitess in the line of the kings of Israel. Now, how did that happen? Did God contradict himself? No, of course not. But God wants to illustrate in living color that if you're willing to serve him, he's willing to use you. Amen? Heard a great sermon, maybe I'll copy it sometime. said, if Rahab could serve God, why can't you? If the woman at the well could serve God, why can't you? I mean, there's just some uh, interesting things here. And so, then we have David begat Solomon of, and though Bathsheba's name is not mentioned in here, of her that had been the wife of Urias. And that was Bathsheba. God forgives sin. That's in the genealogies. It's recorded. And God put it there for a purpose. Sometimes we, we look at our lives and we say, boy, you've messed up and there's been decisions made that can't be undone. Well, I'll tell you what, this genealogy is full of decisions that were made that can't be undone. But God's purpose was still carried out because they were willing to serve God. Somebody said, when is God through with you? Are you breathing? If you are breathing, God is not through with you yet. Keep serving him. But I fail. Welcome to the human race. You keep serving the Lord till he takes you home. Amen. The genealogies teach us that. And so here we have the listings and God is proving that Jesus is in the line of David. Why was that important? That's important for the Messiah. In Abraham, God promised Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. How could that be truer, lived, tr more truly lived out than coming in church on Sunday morning? Because we have a great representation of the families of the earth right here in our local church. Amen? All over the world. And so... Jesus was born into the right family and just something to put in your hat to think about. 70 AD, the Roman armies came in, destroyed Jerusalem and the genealogical records. No living Jewish person can prove their tribal identity today. Now, how is that going to work out when we get to the book of Revelation and it says 12,000 of the tribe of and it lists all of the tribes. I don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, maybe they're going to find something. Uh, wouldn't that be wonderful if we heard on the news tomorrow that somebody was working in Jerusalem and fell through a hole and all of a sudden they found the hidden genealogical records that they thought had been destroyed. That's not beyond the Lord, amen? They've made more amazing discoveries than that in history and so we'll just wait and see. But the simple truth is until some miracle finding like that, no living person can honestly claim to be the Messiah and prove it. No one since 70 AD. Interesting thought. You get to witness to your Jewish friends, say, how can you prove anything? Well, the law of return, your mother or grandmother has to be Jewish. And uh, that makes you Jewish. 
interesting how they reckon that today, and yet we go through the genealogies here, and it's all father to son, because that is the way it's written in the Bible. And so we, we are looking at Joseph here, and Joseph is of the line of David, yet as we examine Joseph and Mary, uh, we find them to be of the poorer, uh, lower uh, income class people. We'll deal with that when we get to the temple. But here we have uh, the faith of Joseph, and we talked a little bit about that. Verse 18, we finally get to, uh, well, let, we'll get to that in a minute here. Uh, Joseph takes Mary to be his wife, that, that we covered last week. And now we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, and we have Rome stepping in. Uh, if you like uh, Vice President Biden, uh, he says that if you're patriotic, you'll pay lots of taxes. Uh, I don't like his definition of patriotism, uh, but uh, you'll pay the taxes anyway. Uh, and nothing new. Here we go. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. As we're just going through the scriptures in order. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Now here we see forces that are not connected Caesar didn't get out his Bible and start thinking about things and said, you know, we need to move Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so they can have Jesus where the Bible says he's supposed to be born. Uh, the best way to do that is to tax everybody because did the Roman taxation say you had to go to the city of your birth? Absolutely not. The Romans didn't care where you paid. They only cared that you paid. Uh, it had nothing to do with this, but here we see how ingrained the Jewish culture and way of life is. You go back all the way to Moses and Mount, and Mount Sinai, the children of Israel were assembled how? By their families, by their tribes. We come all the way down uh, nearly 2,000 years removed from Mount Sinai and God's giving of the law. The Romans eat, give a command to be taxed. And how do the Jewish people take that? I mean, they're literally in slavery to Rome. They get out the record books and say, this is how we keep track of our people. And Joseph had to make the 60-some mile journey. And of course, I say this every Christmas, and everybody looks at me like I've got three heads. There was no donkey uh, from all we can take that Mary rode down. Uh, they probably walked. How many of you ladies would like to walk 60 miles? Eight months with child. Uh, not the wisest thing in the world to do. I'm sure they had to take it very easy. And it took several days. And it may have been one of the things that hastened the delivery of Jesus. Uh, was the trip and, and all of those things that went on. But Joseph... As we uh, um, come through here, we find that the Romans literally 
stood aside and allowed the Jewish people with their traditions and with their self-rule to have a great deal of influence in how the taxing was made. It's interesting how accommodating Rome could be under proper circumstances. And uh, you'll see that again through the book of Acts. Romans had no problems with adding Jesus to the pantheon of their gods. In fact, if you wanted to take Zeus off the throne and say, Zeus, you're not the major god Jesus is, the Romans had had no problems doing that. But when you said, all the other gods got to go, there's only one that belongs in the pantheon, that's Jesus. That's when the Romans got upset and began persecuting the Christians. And yet we see them working all of these things around. And, and your Bible is a book full of customs and cultures. And you need to understand a little bit about those things so that you can understand how and why things were going. And so we see the unseen hand of God motivating the king the, the Caesar of Rome to tax and the Jewish people to say, well, the only way we can pay the taxes is by families. And so we're going to do all. And just think of all the organization. How many people lived in the land of Israel at this time? And how far removed? David was about 1,000 A.D. was his kingdom. We are now, I mean, B.C., I'm sorry. Uh, I'll get it right. A thousand years before Christ. How would you like to keep your family history for a thousand years? Now, most of us would know our family history barely a hundred years. Uh, especially if you're an American, because your family history probably comes from 400 different directions by the time you get a couple generations removed. And so here we have Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem to pay their taxes. And Mary went with Joseph being great with child. And so it was, verse 6, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Why wasn't there any room in the inn? Number one, the entire family of David, wherever they were in the land of Israel, had to come back and register to pay their taxes. How many of you have ever been to a great big family reunion when you didn't even know half the people that were there? Has anybody been to one of those? And uh, I'll tell you, you go and uh, here's your cousin and your second cousin and your third cousin. I actually met a fifth cousin one time. And it was quite by accident. We slid off the road. He happened to be driving by and pulled us out. And uh, later on found out, oh, that was my grandfather's second cousin's son. Actually, my grandfather's second cousin's grandson. And so I think it works out to be about a fifth cousin somewhere in there. Uh, and uh, that's one of the reasons. But another reason, and just something that I, I want you to think about, is they were really critical and it was really important timings and when the first baby came. No Pat Robertson excuses here. How many of you remember Pat Robertson running for president? The first one can come any time after that. It takes nine months. And uh, there were some issues with the birth of Jesus because Mary and Joseph had been engaged, Right? And Mary had gone down to visit Elizabeth three months, came back. She was with child. 
Everybody knew that. Joseph followed God's direction. And later on, we will find even as the Pharisees begin to uh, confront Jesus at one time, they are going to even accuse him, saying, we be not born of fornication. Uh, Our birth record is complete and just the way it ought to be. Yours is a little skeptical here. And uh, you just wonder if maybe there wasn't any room in the end because of the whispers of family members. Just something to think about. And yet, how did God take care of that? Joseph took Mary to be his wife, and everything was done legally and lawfully under the protection of the law. They traveled to Bethlehem. There was no room for them in the inn. When Mary gave birth to her first child, she put him in the manger. That was the place where they fed the cows. It's an amazing thing. Someone, uh, a cousin of mine sent me an email. It says, the first king-size bed. And it had a picture of a little manger. Because that was the first bed that the king slept in. Amen. The king of all heaven and earth. And, and I never will, I hope I never get over the fact that the King of kings and Lord of lords was laid in a manger. Now, what are swaddling clothes? Well, that's what they had before there were pampers. Amen? Uh, They would just take old cloths, garments that were no longer proper to be worn, and they would make diapers out of them. How many of you know how to make a diaper out of a square cloth? Yeah. a uh, few, few of us do. Uh, we, we use cloth diapers for quite a while, but uh, after a while we succumb to the temptation. And uh, it's a whole lot easier uh, than the other way. But uh, Mary had no such options, and the only thing swaddling clothes were was the forerunner of diapers. It was a way to keep the baby comfortable and dry and clean. All that was important. This was a Jewish family. There were rules about cleansing and being clean and what was clean and what wasn't clean. And if you touch certain things and, and uh, that, you would be unclean. And so it was very, very important. And she laid him in a manger. Now, these, this is just the, the narrative of the story. We have uh, Luke going on here in verse 8 of chapter 2. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now, there's been an awful lot of talk about the angels. Uh, about the shepherds, I'm sorry. And they said, how in the world could the shepherds be out in the field in the middle of winter? Well, we already discussed that last time. The angel was sent unto Mary in the sixth month. The simplest understanding of that in the, it was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We don't know when. The Bible does not give us a birthday. One thing is for sure. It wasn't uh, December 25th. And so someone once asked, well, if it wasn't December 25th, why do we sing the Christmas carols? And they went on and on and on and on. And listen, if I'm going to argue with the world, I'm not going to argue with them when they want to talk about Jesus. Amen? I'll argue with them about a lot of other things. When they want to talk about legitimizing sin, we'll we'll argue with them on that. But when they want to stop and celebrate Jesus' birthday, even if it's not the right day, I'm just not going to argue. I'm going to sing the Christmas carols extra loud. Amen? Uh, I'm going to use the opportunity. And by the way, There's nothing wrong with enjoying some time with your family and with your church family around the story. 
that is found in the Bible. Amen? And so we have the shepherds abiding in their field. Uh, I believe that this is a fulfillment of Micah when it talks about the tower of the flock, that these were the sacrificial flocks and that these shepherds were actually the priestly shepherds keeping the flocks that would be sacrificed in Jerusalem. Now, I know if you read in the commentaries, it says there's no such proof. But let me ask you a question. What other connection would there be? I mean, why would God send a heavenly choir to talk to shepherds if they weren't taking care of the sacrifices that were in Jerusalem? God wanted to show them his sacrifice. And so I'll just let it be that way. And if you choose not to believe it, I'm not going to argue with you. But we have the announcement to the shepherds. By the way, it wasn't probably one or two. They tell us that the sacrificial flocks could have easily numbered 100,000 sheep. Three guys can't take care of 100,000 sheep. How would you like to give birth and hours later have a procession? They could have easily been 100 men walking through all wanting to look at the baby. Just leave me alone. Could you see Mary saying that? But she didn't. Because there must have been something going on that they understood. Amen? And so... Here we have Mary bringing forth her firstborn son and the story of the angels. And of course, we'll be covering this more in detail. What we're doing here again is presenting a harmony, a, a one storyline of all the different passages in the four Gospels. Eight days later, verse 21 of Luke chapter 2 uh, when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, and this was about two months later, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said on the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now the, idea, the sacrifice that was here, there were several different levels uh, of sacrifice that could be offered. The traditional sacrifice was that of a lamb. Now Mary and Joseph had traveled from uh, Nazareth, where they lived, down to Bethlehem. They wouldn't have brought their flocks with them if they had such things. And Joseph was a carpenter. But they offered the least sacrifice, which is indicating to us their financial state was not exceptionally good. Otherwise... They would have definitely offered the lamb and, and the other sacrifices that were uh, prescribed in the law. And while they were there at the temple in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit had two people waiting. And I love the story of Simeon and Anna. How many of you remember when Pat Cassidy, our missionary to Malawi, was here? He was here Christmas Sunday, the year Ted and Sharon got married. And he drew a picture of Simeon. And, uh, oh, it was just wonderful. Um, but uh, he had Simeon, the old man, holding. And you couldn't see the child, but you could see a light coming up from the child reflecting off Simeon's face. It was just a beautiful chalk art. And while I preached on Simeon, old Pat sat there and drew that whole picture out. And I mean, it was just a very, very special time. But Simeon was a man that God had promised that he would not die until he had seen Israel's salvation. And he came and took that little baby out of his mother's arms 
and blessed the Lord. And while he was speaking, an aged lady named Anna who had lived in the temple for 84 years. She had been married, lived just, I believe, seven years with her husband who died, and 84 years as a widow. So start doing the math. Uh, This lady was very old. And she came, and of course Mary and Joseph were just sitting there with their eyes trying to, uh, eyes wide trying to figure all of these things out. And so we have a period of two months here. Now there's one little point that uh, 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 come uh, that people uh, have here. Look at verse 39 of chapter two. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Now, one of the books I read said that they went back to Nazareth and then came back to Bethlehem. Uh, That's why the note is in there. This possibly would be uh, after the return to Egypt you'll notice that we haven't mentioned the wise men yet. It's because when we read the story of the wise men, they didn't go to the stable. They went to the house. They didn't look for a baby. They looked for a young child. And when Herod murdered the little children, he didn't murder them from six months or six days and upward. He killed them from two years. And so there was a period here of about two years, as far as we understand, where Mary and Joseph lived here in the city of Bethlehem. They established themselves in a home. And we go back to Matthew chapter 2, and we have the wise men coming from the east. And boy, there are so many stories told about the wise men three, which we have no idea. There were three gifts. Uh, That's by no means the number of the wise men. Now let's stop and think about this. It says all Jerusalem was troubled when they appeared before Herod and said, we're seeking him that is born the king of of the Jews. Now, do you think that All of Jerusalem would have gotten upset if three guys rode in on three camels and said, we're looking for the king of the Jews. They would have said, take a hike, dude. Uh, We we have no idea what you're talking about. Of course, Herod did know what they were talking about. He knew the prophecies. That's why he commanded the scribes and the Pharisees and all of these things. When these wise men showed up, A city, Jerusalem, as far as we know, was a city of several hundred thousand people at this point. To get the whole city upset, to have the whole city take notice, had to be quite an entourage, don't you think? And as they came through the city, everything was trying trying to figure out. Herod made time to meet with them. That tells us how important and, and how ostentatious their arrival in Jerusalem is. Uh, when you travel to the United States from a foreign country, don't plan on meeting our president. He's kind of busy. But I'll tell you what, he does make time to meet with some people now, doesn't he? And here was Herod, who was in charge of all of these things when the wise men showed up. He took time to meet with them. In fact, he took their things so seriously that he would use it as a platform to commit murder. He's a wicked man. But you know what Herod was was interested in? He was interested in his kingdom. And the last thing he needed was some superstition in his mind from the Old Testament, from the Jewish scriptures talking about a rival to Herod being born. And so he had instructed the wise men to tell him and where the child was. And God instructed the wise men to take off and go home a different way than how they came. 
Then God told Joseph, in the middle of the night, get up and get out of the land of Israel and go to Egypt. So we have the flight to Egypt. I'm sure you all heard about the little boy that drew the picture of a big airplane. They were all supposed to draw something for Christmas and uh, had little people looking out the windows and his teacher said, what is this? He said, well, this is the flight into Egypt. He said, but they didn't have airplanes in those days. Oh, yes, they did. Pontius the pilot. Now, I don't know if that really happened or not. I think some adult made that up so we could laugh. But um, the simple truth was God was into protecting that babe. And they left. It took Herod several days to figure out he had been tricked. Jesus was already safe when he sent his murderous thugs in there to make sure that that quote-unquote rumor never came into reality. But of course, later when Jesus did stand before his grandson and give an account of his kingdom, Jesus didn't answer him a word now, did he? When Pilate examined him, he said, my kingdom is not your kind of kingdom. My kingdom is not from here. Jesus didn't come this first time to rule and reign. He came to pay the price for our sins. And you have all the scriptures that were there. Afterwards, the angel told Joseph to go back. And he was, went to Jerusalem. Herod's son was now in charge. And he was warned in a dream. And they went back to Nazareth. And later, Jesus would be called Jesus of Nazareth. And what would the scribes and Pharisees say? No prophet comes out of Galilee. He's supposed to be Jesus of Bethlehem. Why did God do that? Read Isaiah chapter 53. Who hath believed our report? There was nothing about Jesus when they make all the movies. Ben-Hur, Jesus shows up and everybody's... No, there was nothing about Jesus that made people stop and stare. In fact, what they said was, you're a man and you make yourself God. You see, the issue always has been And always will be faith. You must accept Jesus for who he is. Not because you can prove anything. That's why we don't get upset about the genealogies being a little different. There are many very plausible explanations that the scholars have all taken care of. And so if that really bothers you, uh, see Peter and he'll give you a whole list of books you can read. All right? What we have is two separate genealogies that were given. We have Jesus being born in Bethlehem according to the scriptures. He went to Egypt so that the scripture could be fulfilled. Out of Egypt have I called my son. He returns to Nazareth. And now we're going to pick up just two verses before we finish here tonight. Let's go back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 80. Luke chapter 1 and verse 80. We have a period of actually uh, uh, probably very close to three or four years, possibly as many as five years since the birth of Jesus. It took two years for the wise men to show up. Then they went into Egypt for several years And now they're back at Nazareth. And look at verse 80 of chapter 1. This is the life of John the Baptist. And the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. So we have John the Baptist growing in the deserts. He was a wild man. He had no uh, 
normal uh, uh, concourse with people and society as a whole. He was what we might call a hermit. He lived by himself. He, he did not have a wife. He did not have a family. He ate grasshoppers and wild honey. I'll tell you, how do you collect wild honey? Very carefully. Because it's out of the bee's nest. And maybe if you're fortunate, you can find some like Jonathan did that dripped upon the ground. But uh, how many of you would like to pick dinner up off the ground after it fallen honey sticking to the twigs and dirt and all of that and sifted out? I mean, John did not have a great culinary uh uh, expertise. Uh, my my only wish and hope is that he roasted the grasshoppers before he ate them. Amen. Oh, the the other is a little too much for my imagination to handle. Now we go to the end of chapter two. As John the Baptist was growing up in the wilderness, remember his parents were very old when he was born. They probably died in his early teenage years, and John would have left society as a whole and went out and communed with God in the wilderness until he turned about 30 years old. We get one story from Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, they went back, and uh, when he was about 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem to worship. They took Jesus with them. They fulfilled the days of the feast. And returned, and how many know what Jesus was doing? It took his parents three days to find him. And he was sitting in the temple discussing theology with the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were astounded at his understanding and his answers. Because... The Pharisees and the scribes weren't wrong about everything. Many of them were honestly seeking God's word. And all of a sudden, this 12-year-old boy who did not attend their colleges shows up and starts answering their questions. And when his parents finally find him, he said... Didn't you understand? I must be about my father's business. They didn't understand that. You see, it tells us something. That Jesus was very human growing up. This is why we believe that he is 100% God. And 100% man. That's what the Bible teaches I think his parents may have been a little disappointed. And by the way, don't read the Gospel of Thomas and some of these pseudepigraphal books that tell all kinds of wacky stories about how Jesus was playing with dirt on the Sabbath day and his mother caught him. And so he turned it into a dove and it flew away. Now, that's blasphemous. Because it makes Jesus a breaker of the Sabbath. Jesus was not a sinner. But when his parents, it says he was subject to them, that meant he took the punishment that they meted out. Why? Because honor thy father and thy mother. Jesus honored them in their misunderstanding of him and his ministry. Good lesson for us to learn today. The Bible says here in Luke chapter 2, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, how many of you remember our study in Proverbs from Sunday night? Proverbs chapter 3. It says, if you get wisdom and you get understanding, you're going to have favor of both God and man. 
Jesus was fulfilling the biblical commands. Your entire Bible is one book. It's all connected. Every verse. The next 18 years is relatively silent. The best we understand, somewhere in this 18 years before Jesus began his public ministry, Joseph died because we don't hear any more of him. So that's, that's our understanding. Why? Because if he were alive, he certainly would have been mentioned, as was Mary and his brothers and his sisters. They weren't his cousins. They were his natural family that Mary and Joseph had after Jesus was born. And so we follow the line of the scriptures. And, of course, we're jumping from Matthew to Luke and and different passages here. But... John the Baptist was growing up in the wilderness. Jesus was growing up in the carpenter's shop in Nazareth. And now we're going to have a passing of time and we'll get to the ministry of John the Baptist, Lord willing, next week. And we're just going to follow this right on through the story of the Gospels from beginning to end. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we ask that you would open our eyes to see and understand and study your word. And Lord, that you would give us grace and wisdom uh, not to answer all of the questions of the scholars, but to have faith in you, in who you are, how that you are 100% man, yet 100% God. The Son of Man and the Son of God. Help us, Lord, to have faith in you and to lead others that we may serve you till you come for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just have a verse from the piano. If you'd like to come and spend a little time at the